Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As Vicar mentioned at the start of the sermon, we are continuing our sermon series, A Stewardship Challenge, that is produced by our Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. It's being uh, focused on in many of our churches during this month and the months ahead. The idea of how do we take everything that God has given and use it for him. That theme, a God-lived life, really has a double meaning. It's a God-lived life that is the source of every blessing that we have. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, came to this life to live perfectly in our place. And now God gives us the privilege of living a godly life, a God-lived life on the basis of the love that he demonstrated to us first. Today, we'll take a look at how we live our lives for others. I asked you this morning to jot down a couple of phrases that have been very difficult for you to speak in English. I'm not talking about pronouncing some words. I mean, things that are hard to have come out of your mouth. Can you think of some phrases that are difficult to say? When I googled that this week, there were a few phrases that came up. And I won't be, wouldn't be surprised if some of you thought these things were on your list. I'm sorry. Help me. I love you. You first. The top two maybe we understand because it's really hard, isn't it, in our lives to swallow our pride? And when we have to apologize for something, when we've done something wrong, we have to admit that somehow we haven't quite been able to measure up and that's a difficult thing to do. Asking for help can be difficult. Maybe some of you can relate of the four on the screen. That's probably my most difficult one. I will wander around the grocery store for 15 to 20 minutes looking for what I'm looking for, even though I know if I would simply say, hey, can you tell me where this is? Can you help me? Somebody would probably be able to do so. There's just that pride that won't quite let me get there. Some people struggle with the words, I love you. They struggle with those words because you have to be vulnerable to speak those to others. But is it fair to say that that of all of the ones that, that are on the screen, the one that comes least naturally to us is the one at the bottom of the screen? You first. Now, I'm not talking about when you and a friend go off to explore some caves and you're going into a scary cave and you say to your friend, you first. That's not the kind of you first. It's not when you're getting ready to jump into the cold swimming pool and you tell the other person, you can go first. No, I'm talking about real sacrifice. When somebody else's life becomes more important than your own, where you literally say, you are first and I am after, I am second. It doesn't come naturally to us. And yet in the example that we're given in Scripture today, in Acts chapter 9, which Vicar read earlier, the story of Tabitha, we get to see what a life of service looks like. And as God holds up Tabitha as an example for us, he also uses Tabitha to bring even more comfort to our hearts and our lives. So today, as we look at this story, we're going to see what it means to have a life lived for others. First of all, noting that it's a purpose worth pursuing. And then secondly, that it's a service that is pointing to Jesus. Look again with me at the very first verse of that section, chapter 9, verse 36. Here's how Luke reports about Tabitha. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. 
Let me just sort of set the stage for you for a second. The city of Joppa, you can see on the map here, is over on the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 35 miles from Jerusalem. And as chapter 9 begins of the book of Acts, we have a new thing happening in the Christian church. The man, formerly known as Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, has been called by God to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And so after the church was scattered, when Stephen was stoned, it is time for the apostles again to have a period of peace to be able to spread God's word. You, you might remember that Jesus said this at the very start of the book of Acts to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What Luke does in the book of Acts is trace for us how that gospel message gets to the ends of the earth. Today, we're going to be in greater Judea in the city of Joppa. That's what Luke's doing. He's tracking for us the progress of that gospel. And, and he does so by introducing to us a woman by the name of Tabitha. In Greek, we're told her name is Dorcas. Tabitha is her Hebrew or Aramaic name. Both of them mean the same thing in English. They mean gazelle. Maybe that strikes you for just a moment because it's not usually how we name children in our English culture. We don't usually name them after animals. Uh, and yet that was more common in the Greek culture. But beside the name, which means gazelle Hebrew, in Tabitha or Dorcas, we have a description of Tabitha that is quite striking. She is always doing good and helping the poor. Now, the purpose of that phrase in the Bible isn't to hold Tabitha up as some perfect person, but it's to show that she understood what it meant to live a life for others, always doing good and helping the poor. I thought about that phrase this week as I was thinking about the sermon. And I thought if somebody was going to have two clauses, two phrases that describe my life, I'm pretty certain neither one of those two would be part of how they would describe me. Always doing good and helping the poor. And then I thought to myself, well, why? And I think if all of us today do a little bit of self-analysis, if we, if we think about what our life is truly like, we understand and have to admit that we are far more in tune to words like me and my and mine than we are in tune to thinking of others first. We know how easy it is to be self-serving. We know how easy it is to focus on my little space in this world and what I need and what's best for me and just sort of ignore the things that are going on around us. That's why Tabitha is such a great example. And it's why Luke tells us what she did that made her such a valuable part of the congregation of believers at Joppa. Listen again to verses 37 and 39 of the text as Luke tells us a little bit more about her. About that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Peter went in with them and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Tragedy struck those believers in Joppa, their beloved Tabitha, the one that they held up to, they looked up to, she 
died, got sick, and then died. When the people in Joppa heard that, that Peter was nearby, about 10 miles away in a town called Lydda, they decided to send for Peter. Not sure why exactly. Did they think maybe Peter could do something about it? Well, he had just healed a cripple in Lydda, a man by the name of Aeneas. So maybe they did. At the very least, they thought, well, Peter can come and comfort us in our time of loss. And so Peter went with them. And when he got there, he was able to see why it was that Tabitha was so important to those believers in Joppa. They showed him her handiwork, all the things that she had accomplished for that congregation. And the impact that she had on those believers was apparent to Peter. They were standing around crying, showing him all of these things. Well, what did they show him? Robes and other clothing that Tabitha had made. Maybe there's just a part of you that says, well, how is it that someone who sewed clothes was such a huge part of this congregation? First, isn't it a reminder that whatever gifts we have that we use for God are important to him and can be important to others too? But then don't we also get a sense that that it was more than just what Tabitha did for the congregation. It was more than just the fact that she was able to make robes and sew clothes that made her so valuable. It was her service. It was her attitude. You see, Tabitha understood that it wasn't the people of Joppa that she was serving. She understood that, that this was worth pursuing. Her purpose in life was to use the gifts that God had given her and that was worth pursuing. But even more, she recognized the why. Why it is that she served. She knew her Savior Jesus. She knew the love of God that had touched her life first. And that's the love in which she served others. Maybe we could stop and ask ourselves this question. Well, what, what, what's our purpose in life? Think about your day-to-day -day routine. You, you, you get up in the morning, you go to class, Try to get good grades so that you can get a good job and maybe while you're working that job that you go to most days of the week, you hope that, that you're doing a good enough job that, that, that maybe you get some promotions and, and you make a little bit of money and, and maybe you can enjoy some of the finer things of life and get to your retirement and then maybe travel and enjoy retirement uh, and then what? See, when you lay it out like that, doesn't it seem like there has to be something more? Like, that can't be the only purpose for which we are here in this life. That God has created us for more. And you know that's true. But I think we get stuck sometimes. We get stuck with thoughts of, of wanting to accomplish great things. Like, somehow, to truly serve others, we have to win the Nobel Peace Prize or find a cure for cancer or some other great thing. And isn't it easy in the age in which we live to look around us at the life of others, to look at what others are doing, to see it as it's splashed on their Facebook pages or as we scroll through their Instagram accounts to understand it seems like people are better and doing more things than I am doing. And we can feel like we don't measure up. We can feel unused in the gifts that we have. That's when it's so important to remember Tabitha, to see what God let her do what gift he had given her and how she used that to serve those believers in Joppa and then ask ourselves these questions. What gifts do I have? 
What gifts has God given to me? Maybe those gifts are cooking or sewing or leading. Maybe it's caring for others. Maybe it's studying for a test and being a good student. Maybe it's fixing things. Maybe it's playing music. Maybe it's making sure the service runs smoothly in the back. Maybe it's just making sure that your children have a warm place to call home and meals on the table. You see, I could go on and on and on, couldn't I? Whatever gifts God has given you, whatever strengths God has given you, he's given to you to be a part of the church, a part of his believers. And when we use those things to demonstrate God's love, that's a purpose worth pursuing. And just as Lydia or Tabitha did those things, we too can find joy in our service of the Lord. Tabitha also had an opportunity through her life to point people to Jesus. Not through anything that she did, but through what God accomplished through her. Take a look at what Luke reports. Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. It's amazing, isn't it? That God had another purpose for the life of Tabitha. He accomplished a miracle through her. He took a dead woman and raised her to life. He allowed Peter to do something incredible. Was that what the people of Joppa were looking for? We don't know. That's exactly what God allowed to happen. And I suppose we could say it was really a double blessing that God brought to the people of Joppa in raising Tabitha from the dead. First, they got her back to be a part of their congregation again, their group of believers. But then it was something far better. They also got to see God's power over death. They got to see that it's God who raises the dead. They got to see that it was Tabitha that was an example of what was yet to come. For you, for me, for all believers. Jesus himself said, because I live, you also will live. In effect, this event of Tabitha's life became a witness to you, to me, to the people of Joppa, to everyone in the city who heard about it and put their faith in God that we too won't stay in our graves, that we too will rise to live forever because Jesus has taken care of death. Death has been defeated in your behalf and mine. When Jesus left his tomb empty, that was his guarantee to you that your sins are forgiven, that your life in heaven is assured. Yes, we have life in Jesus, a life not just here and now, but one that will last forever. Maybe we'll stop and just ask ourselves this question. Well, how, how do my gifts, how do my gifts point people to Jesus? How, how is it that the things that I can do will make a difference in God's kingdom? Or maybe we could ask it a little bit differently as we look at the life of Tabitha. Wouldn't it be much easier to serve God if the reaction of people was the same as the reaction of the believers in Joppa to Tabitha? If we were truly appreciated for everything that we did, if we were loved and adored by the people around us. But in the end, 
Isn't everything that we do not about us? Isn't everything that we do about God? About serving the one who served us first? It's for the Lord that we do the things that we do. In his first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote it this way, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, here's the advantage that you and I have in this world, the blessings. We know our Savior. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We know that Jesus came into this world and lived 33 years of a life where his primary focus was one thing, you and me. He put us first. In his actions, Jesus said, you first. The Son of Man, Jesus said, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus went to the cross with every sin of mine that involves my attitudes and actions of me first and all other sins as well. But God's grace for you and me didn't stop there. He also gifted us. Gifted us to be a part of his body, a part of the body of Christ of which Jesus himself is the head. And he tells us that whatever gift we have is important. It's vital to his body, to being a part of God's people. So whatever gift it is that God has given you, he simply says, use it. Use it as well as you can, as faithfully as you can. Even if no one notices. You see, what you and I are awaiting is something greater than this world has to offer. Tainted though all of our actions are, in the blood of Jesus, they're clean. So that when we arrive at heaven's doorstep, we will hear these words from our Savior himself. Well done, good and faithful servant. Whatever you've done for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done for me. We have the joy of living with the knowledge that our eternal home has already been purchased. Purchased for us by the blood of our Savior Jesus and guaranteed as Jesus himself tells us that he's prepared us a place with him in heaven. So what do we do? In between, knowing the truth of what Jesus has done for us and arriving at our heavenly home, God says, live. Live a godly life. Live Serving others as I have served you. The Apostle Paul said it so clearly in his second letter to the Corinthians in these words. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Some takeaways from our sermon this morning. Number one, through Jesus, we have a purpose in this life to serve him and to serve others. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Number two, every ability we have is from God and all gifts are important. Whether others notice or not, keep using those gifts well. If it's encouraging others, encourage them. If it's being the best student you can be, then use your academic ability as well as you can. If it's fixing things, then fix them. If it's singing, then sing. Whatever it is that God has given you to do, do it as well as you can. Then number three, when we serve others in love, Christ is honored as we point to him. We no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us and was raised again. Might be my favorite news story of all time. 
And I could hardly believe when I looked it up again this week that it's almost 40 years since this happened. So my apologies to those of you who are quite a bit younger than I am. Maybe some of you who are my age and a little bit older remember this news story. It happened in 1982. The man's name was Larry Walters. He's probably best known by this moniker, Lawn Chair Larry. You see, Larry lived in a suburb of Los Angeles. And I don't know if he was just bored or if he just had an adventurous spirit, but Larry decided he really wanted to fly. And so his goal was to, well, maybe go up 100 feet or so above his neighborhood and just get a bird's eye view of all of what was going on in his neighborhood. So you know what he did? Well, he took a lawn chair, just a regular old lawn chair. He tied it on one end to a tree in his yard and to the other end and to a place in his garage and he slowly attached weather balloons to his lawn chair. Not one, not two, not even ten, but 43 weather balloons he attached to his lawn chair. And then he got his little cooler filled with sandwiches and drinks and his pellet gun that he was going to use to shoot out the balloons to lower him back down to earth. And when he was ready, he asked his friends to cut the string. And Larry went up, all right. Not just 100 feet or so, but 16,000 feet. Larry ended up in the flight pattern for Los Angeles International Airport and two commercial airlines reported to the control tower that there was a man in their path that was flying with balloons. When Larry finally got enough I don't know, courage, I suppose you could say, to hold off the chair, take his grip off the chair and, and get the pellet gun out. He started shooting the balloons out. And yes, he gradually came back down to earth, about 20 miles from his house. And he landed in the power lines in Long Beach. He was unhurt, but he knocked out power for an hour or so to that city. But here's the best part of the story. When Larry was back down safely on the ground and the news crews came to interview him, they said, well, what, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? And purportedly, Larry said this, well, you can't just sit there. And he's right, isn't he? As God's people, we can't just sit around waiting for Jesus to come back. God has given us a purpose in this life to use the gifts that he's given us to serve him and we're motivated by the greatest love of all, the love that Jesus demonstrated to us first. That's what it means to live, to have a God-lived life and, and live a life for others. It's to serve others with the gifts that God has given us, knowing that the great, greatest gift of all is waiting for us in heaven. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.